Father, we do acknowledge and celebrate the fact that you are faithful. We remember that today. You've been faithful throughout your overall story. You've been faithful to your people. You've been faithful to us at uh, times, maybe when we haven't even been aware of it. And you've been uh, faithful here in this country. We remember. We want to take a moment here this morning to remember and reflect just a moment of silence for those who lost their lives 10 years ago. In the faithful and loving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Welcome, welcome. Very glad that you are here. If you're new, uh, my name is Alan and uh, pastor here. And we are taking a moment here today to remember. You may uh, remember uh, there was a building right next to the World uh, Trade Center that had a big banner on it that said, we will never forget. And often when we use that phrase, we really don't mean it. We feel like it in the moment, but we really don't mean it. Perhaps as a teenager, we may have said at one, at one point, I'll never forget what you did to me. And then six months later, we can't even remember the details because it's so powerful in the moment. But that banner representing what happened 10 years ago was absolutely correct. We will never, ever forget. It is imprinted as a part of American history. For those of you who are old enough, which is obviously most here in this room, most of us will never forget where we were on that Tuesday morning, the exact circumstances of what we were doing and how we encountered the reality of that story. I was in Canada. I am from Canada and, uh, but I had been living in the United States for a while, married to uh, Tammy, who's from Cincinnati. In 2001, we were living in Cincinnati, and earlier on in that year, in March of that year, we had our firstborn, Gordon. And so in September, we had the opportunity to take Gordon up to uh, my home, uh, my hometown in Edmonton, Canada, to uh, introduce him to the family. And so we were there uh, for September 2001. Uh, it was uh, that morning, on that Tuesday morning, uh, my brother uh, came down and woke us up down in the basement, and he said, you guys, you're going you're gonna to want to come and see this. You're, you're going to need to see what has happened. And, and then we went, and like uh, most of you, we were glued to the television. We were absolutely mesmerized and, and glued and connected to the television, just stayed and watched and just watched as, as things were happening every 20 minutes, every 30 minutes. It was just this incredible uh, roll of things that were happening. Uh, in fact, I have a photo here that I took that day. This was our little boy, Gordon, and uh, took it in the living room where we were for many hours, and obviously George Bush in the background there. That's a part of American history right there that, that day. You remember where you were. <clears throat> I'm, uh, I'm quite sure uh, you remember what happened that day. A few hours into that uh, time, my brother came in and he said, uh, hey, we're going out for lunch. Let's go. Let's go. Let's take, take a break. Let's just go, go out to eat. We'll get something to eat. And, uh, and I said, uh, I can't. I said, I've got to stay and watch, watch the TV. And my brother, kind of, he's older, and he, kind of, he said, you know, Alan, there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. You can't help anybody by just staring at the television. Let's go. Let's get our mind off of it for a little bit. And it was in that moment that I realized that the United States is my home. Because what happened in that, in that encounter is that my, for my brother, all that was happening was happening to them. For me and for my wife, this was happening to us. 
And that's, that's, what, that's what's, what bonded us as a, as a country in that moment, is that this was happening to us. I did not go out for lunch that day. I could not leave the television. There's a huge difference between us and them, between viewing people as us and viewing people as them. I think that's part of the miracle that occurred on that day 10 years ago, is that so many of the thems became us's. That those who were working in New York and in other uh, areas where uh, there was impact, they were surrounded by them. They had gone up and down escalators next to and around them for many years and had worked in offices that were right next door to them for quite some time. But on that day, they became us. The firefighters, they, they didn't check for IDs to find, okay, who's, who are the American citizens who are not? Who is in this category? Who's in that category? They all were us, and they became these firefighters became national heroes. No longer were they those uh, men and women out there in New York, but they proudly became us. And with, hap- with what uh, happened in uh, Washington, D.C. at the Pentagon, in that moment, it wasn't the military uh, and the civilians or the Republicans and the Democrats. They all were us. They all became us in that moment. And on United Airlines Flight 93, Todd Beamer and company realized what was the intent of the plane that they were on, heard and understood that it was uh, likely targeted for uh, Washington, D.C. And so for the, the targets at either the Capitol building or the White House or wherever it was, it was intended to go, those people weren't them anymore. For Todd and company, they were us, and so they did something about it. So they said, let's roll. And in the months that followed, September 11th, construction uh, workers came from all over to, uh, for months to help clean up what was happening there and, and digging through the rubble, uh, etc. That moment, that, that scene has become a part of American history. That was the day that they became us and so many of these boundaries and, and, and walls had been uh, broken down. That's what makes racial profiling such a tragedy is that here in that moment, many of us become them for the wrong reasons. That's what makes that so painful, is that it goes against so much the beauty that happened on 9-11. The hope and the heroism and the unity came because they became us. And I think it moved in our hearts and in our spirits because we have been hardwired by God to have them become us. We've been, it's in our DNA. It is a kingdom of God principle that there would be this unity, that they would become us. This morning I want to take a look at a story, perhaps one of the most famous and known stories in the Bible. It's found in Luke chapter 10. Luke is found in the New Testament, the beginning of the New Testament. The New Testament begins Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And I'm looking at a story in Luke chapter 10. There's a lawyer who comes up to Jesus and he asks a very important question. He says, how must I, how can I inherit eternal life? How can I do this? And Jesus says, well, you're a lawyer. You know the law. You understand all the things that we've been talking about for hundreds of years. You understand all that stuff. You tell me. What does the law say? Jesus 
answers a question with a question. He's very good at that. He understands the power of questions, and so he, he asks a question in response to the question that the lawyer asks him. And the lawyer answers. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Very good answer. Very good answer. In fact, we see in Matthew and in Mark, that's the answer Jesus gave. In fact, it's most likely that this lawyer was giving the answer because he had heard Jesus say it at another time. This is the answer. This is how all the law, all the laws and precepts and commandments in the Old Testament are summed up in those two things. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Now here in the church... There are plenty of things for us to debate about, for us to argue about, for us to get divided about. Did God actually create the world in six literal days? Once saved, always saved. Free will, free choice, where does that fit into it? Speaking in tongues, where does that fit into it? Abortion, homosexuality. Was it appropriate for Alan to tell the pool story last week? Was that appropriate? Was that not appropriate? There's plenty of things for us to talk about a debate. Let me tell you, those things, those, that little list that I gave there, those are not the main issues. Those are not hills that we will die for around here. Those are not hills that we will die for. However, loving God, loving others... Love God, love others, those are two hills we will die for here with absolute clarity. Jesus says, love God, love others. That can be the only filter we need in terms of how to do life. Set up very clearly. But the lawyer, he wants to find a loophole, and so it says that he wants to justify himself. That's what the, the story says, and so he asks who is my neighbor exactly? What do you mean by neighbor? Depends what you mean by is. Uh, uh, who, he says, who is my neighbor? How, how am I supposed to know? In other words, how am I supposed to know who's us and who's them? How am I supposed to be able to make this differentiation? And so Jesus jumps in with this incredibly famous story. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem and Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be coming down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So here we have a man who is beaten down near death, laying on the road. And the people who are coming by, they don't know if he's dead or if he's nearly dead. Because those two things look pretty close. And then, first of all, we have a priest, a, a pastor, if you will, a professional religious person who passes by. And it is, according to the law, it is unclean to uh, touch a dead person. And so this person, this priest just kind of walks around. Then we have a Levite who is likely someone who works at the temple. In other words, it's going to be a church staff person. Think of somebody... Uh, here on staff here. It would be somebody else here on staff here. So we have, have two professional religious people who just skip on by. Maybe this Levite had been uh, serving 
under this priest, and he was told how to handle that kind of a situation by that very same priest. Who knows? story continues, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Most of you know this, but it just needs to be reminded as we look at this story that the person who was beat up was Jewish. It was a Jew who was nearly dead, laying on the ground. And a Samaritan is the most hated kind of person by the Jews. Absolutely the most hated. It was typically the Samaritans who were going to be the robbers, and they're the ones who are going to be doing the muggings on that road between, between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's the Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They viewed them as half-breeds, that as a part of the, the Jewish story. They were the ones who did not stay with their own, but they um, intermarried with those around them, and the Jews saw that as, as unacceptable. In fact, the Samaritan uh, uh, for, the, for the Jews would actually have been synonymous with the devil. Them. Very much them. Verse 34 The Samaritan, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Two silver coins, that's the equivalent of about two days' wages. So a couple hundred dollars, a few hundred dollars passed over. It says, anything else, let me know, and I will take care of it. Verse 36, Jesus says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. I mean, it would be like saying, I guess the devil in this story. He couldn't even say it. He says, the one who had mercy. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Sometimes when we read a Bible story, we uh, read too deeply into it. And we make it more complicated than what it needs to be. Sometimes we read it and we think, well, this must have been an allegory. This must, things in here must represent other things, and so we need to look into this. And so the robbers, perhaps, they represent sin. And sin comes in and attacks us. And then the priest represents religion. And religion doesn't solve all the issues in our lives. And the Samaritan, well, that's obviously Jesus. And the two silver coins, well, that's obviously baptism and volunteering in children's ministry. So... Uh, <laughs> You know, there's ways that we spin this thing. And what happens is, you know, Christians have a bad habit of doing this. And we can make the Bible say whatever we want it to say. Now, it's true that sometimes Scripture is hard to understand. And we need some help with it. And we need to understand the background story. But other times, it's really pretty easy. As in this case right here. It's really pretty straightforward. We don't need to read any deeper into it than the value of having mercy on others, of loving others. That there is a tremendous value in allowing them to become us. That's what it looks like, Jesus says. Here's, let me paint the picture of what it looks like. When they become us. When they become us. Now this week, I'm confident that most in the room have been reminded of some amazing stories from 10 years ago, whether it's the internet or newspaper or just conversations or the radio or TV or whatever. 
One story I want to share with you this morning is about a, a guy named Wells Crowther. This guy, as a teenager, he volunteered as a fireman and, because that's what he wanted to do. It's what he wanted to be. As a young man, he was a feisty hockey player. He was a lacrosse player. In fact, he played lacrosse at Boston College where he graduated and got a degree as an equities trader. He got his dream job and he got to work at the World Trade Center. He worked on the 78th floor of the World Trade Center. And uh, in the second tower, the tower that he was on, when that got hit, there was obviously this, uh, this smoke and this blackness and this confusion and this panic on the 78th floor. He tapped into his limited firefighting experience and he gathered all those around him and used a voice of authority and, and brought them down to the 61st floor where he met up with other firefighters and led them to their safety. Now he could have, there in that moment right there, he could have gone with them and he would have saved many and become a hero, but he went back up to the 78th floor and he did it multiple times. And it was during his third ascent to the 78th floor that the second tower that was hit fell. His body was found six months later in the rubble right next to other firefighters who had lost their lives as well. Wells Crowther, this young man who was an equities trader, decided here in this moment, I'm somebody different. He put on a different hat. He was really the ultimate good Samaritan. He sacrificed everything to help a stranger, to help the neighbors that he had encountered there in that moment. It's, it's one of the many incredible stories that we read and that we remember. Now, the heroism and the courage that we remember and celebrate from 9-11 of those who protect and serve it's obviously not limited to what happened in New York City. Obviously. It didn't start 10 years ago, and it didn't fade away or drift after that. We are surrounded here in this city, in this community, in this church, by courageous men and women who risk their lives every day to protect and serve strangers, neighbors that they consider us. And so, in memory of what happened 10 years ago, we want to take a moment here today to honor and thank and celebrate some of those in our community who protect and serve. Uh, here in, uh, to my right, here in the front, are a few uh, gentlemen representing a number of those here in our community who protect and serve and uh, I'm so thankful that you guys uh, took the time to come and uh, experience this with us and remember with us. And uh, we would be honored if you would stand uh, so that we could recognize you and celebrate you here this morning.
Awesome, awesome. Would you remain standing for just a moment, please? The rest of you, please be seated. That is an easy ovation for us. We are so thankful uh, for you and what you do every day. I want to add to those who are currently standing, I want to ask anyone else here in the room who currently serves in the police or the fire or the EMT, you protect and serve us every day, and we don't take opportunities like this much. We want to do that today. Anybody else who's currently serving in, the, in one of these areas, would you stand? Outstanding. Outstanding. I want to add to that anybody who, it, who has served at some point in time, retired, whatever, you're in, moved to a different job or whatever, anybody who has ever served in one of these areas, police, fire, EMT, would you stand at this time, please? Anybody else here in the room? As we continue to honor and remember, I want to add those who have ever served in the military, not just serving here locally, but serve beyond our borders. If you have ever or currently served in the military, would you stand, please? Awesome. One more group I want to add to this is the families of those who are standing, husbands, wives, parents, children of those who are standing. You support and serve those who protect and serve us. And so if there are any family members, would you, would you join? Would you stand as well? Stand and join. Look, look around you, church, while they're standing, just for five more seconds, look around you. This is one of the reasons it is a major gift to be able to live in the United States, that we are surrounded by people who protect and serve. God bless you. God bless you guys. God bless you. Thanks. Thanks for being seated. Don't ever forget the privilege that it is to be able to live in this country. What we want to do in the next... Uh, uh, few moments, 15 minutes or so of our time, as we want to take uh, the opportunity to reflect a little bit on uh, what we've been uh, kind of talking about here this morning. Reflect on the words of Jesus, on the story of the Good Samaritan. Think about, okay, well, what about me? Who is the neighbor in my life? Because yes, this morning we're here to remember and celebrate and reflect, but what about you? That's always a very important question as we read scripture. What about me. How do, what does this look like to me? See, when they become us, we no longer have to knock people down around us in order to feel good about ourselves. When they become us, we don't need people to prove themselves before we'll bless them, before we'll help them, before we'll give them more than what they deserve, perhaps, in our own mind. They don't need to prove themselves first. When they become us, we sacrifice in order to love others. What does that look like for you? I'm not talking about the big major events that some of these uh, people deal with, uh, the things that we're going to make, make it on the news. And I'm not talking about those kinds of events. Those kinds of events don't hit most of our lives day in and day out. But there are many other ways that we interact with strangers, neighbors, laying on the street, figuratively. 
There are many other ways that we do that in our lives. When we're driving and there's somebody pulled over uh, on the side of the road and they need some help, and you get enough information, data, to feel like, you know, this is, a, this is something that I could help out with, even though it's, I'm going to have to sacrifice. I'm going to be late with what I'm going, where I'm headed or whatever. could be the single mom who's in your community that you're aware of and you know the needs who are there, and you're thinking somebody's going to help that person out. Maybe you are the Samaritan on the road in that, in that moment. Maybe it's the family member in your family that no one calls. Maybe it's the person at your school or at your place of work that no one talks to. See, when they become us, we recognize those people in our lives and we do something about it. We do something about it. We're going to take the next few moments. Marsha's going to come out and uh, lead us in a few more songs. And during that time, there'll be a number of different ways here in the room that you can respond if you so choose. Uh, we have up here uh, to your left, uh, here at the cross, there's some red pieces of paper up here at the front. And if you'd like, you can come and you can write something on that red piece of paper. Maybe it is something that is getting in the way of you loving others, of you being the Good Samaritan to somebody else. It is a way to let go of something that you brought here into this room, believing in the power of Jesus on the cross. Maybe you'd like to pray this morning. Just pray for uh, some of the stories that you've heard this week some people that you know who are connected to the events 10 years ago. This here at the front is a, is a safe place for unassisted prayer. No one's going to come and bother you. No one's going to come tap on your shoulder. This is just a place for you. Over here to the right are candles. And the symbol there is that we can bring in the light of Jesus into our lives or into the lives of those that we care about. And then further to the right, there'll be anointing. It says in James 5 that if you want to invite the power of God to come and heal you emotionally, physically, in some area of your life, that there'll be elders here in our church who would be honored to be able to anoint you over there to the right. And at the, each of the corners, there will be assisted prayer. Folks on our prayer team would love to pray with you about anything. And at center back, there's communion, which is available for any of you who are followers of Christ. It is a meaningless, meaningless act if, you're, if you haven't yet decided that you are a follower of Christ. But if you would like to connect in that way, the bread, of course, represents his body, and the cup represents his blood, broken and spilled out for you. You can come as an individual, as a family. You can just take communion on your own, or there will be uh, persons there who would be willing to serve you if you would like that, if you would prefer that. There's an offering box at the back if you didn't have the opportunity to participate in that way. Or, of course, you can stay where you are. Just stay, sit, stand, sing, listen, I do ask, however, in these next few moments, if you would just, out of respect for those around you, just stay in the room. And, uh, and really, you're not going to want to leave until we're all done here because we're going to end up with something. And so let's just take the next few moments and reflect, remember, and connect with a faithful and loving God. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we are thankful today. There is much to be thankful for. We are thankful for those who stood just a few moments ago, who are currently serving or who have served, who risk their lives every day, who model what it means to be a good Samaritan, to put their lives on the line to help others. It's just an amazing thing. And whatever is in their hearts, 
that made them decide at one point three years ago or 30 years ago to say, I want to serve in this way. That's what I want to do with my life. I believe that is, is there because of your design. You put that there. You put in their hearts to say, it is within me to serve and protect. And we honor that and celebrate that today. And God, in whatever way that you want to move here in this room to stir hearts toward loving God and loving others, have your way. We want to offer the next 10 or 15 minutes to you. In Jesus' faithful and loving name we pray. Amen.